The children are dismissed for children's church this morning. They are um, released. The rest of us, if you would, um, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. I'll be looking at, uh, specifically uh, today, I'll be looking at verses 25 through 40. We actually just sang it. Um, and, I, and I like that because we're you know, using Psalm 1. You know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. That's what we're singing. That's the refrain that we give over and over again. I'm hoping that we learn it so well that it's an earworm, that we get it to the point where we're like, man, I, I know that. I just can't help say, saying it over and over again so that we might be able to, to hide God's word in our hearts. Last week, I, I um, quoted a, a partial quote from James Smith about the word of God. This is another section of this. Here's what he has to say about the word. The Bible is compared to a fire that burns a hammer that breaks, a sword that pierces and slays, a light that shines in a dark place, a lantern that guides the feet, milk which nourishes and feeds, a suit of armor which protects the person, incorruptible seed which always brings forth fruit. It is called the word of God, the word of righteousness, the word of reconciliation, the word of life, the word of faith, the word of salvation, the word of grace, the word of truth, the faithful word. That is what you have in your hands, child of God. It is called the Word of God. It is the Bible. So let us um, read from Psalm 119, verses 25 through 40. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and in your righteousness, give me life. And we all say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now again, Psalm 119, it is the longest psalm in all of Scripture, 176 verses. It's 22 sections long, 22 times 8. And the 22 sections represent the Hebrew alphabet. It is an acrostic poem that the Lord has given us, the psalmist has given us this, so that we are understand that the Word of God is powerful. It is to be preserved. It is to be hidden in our hearts. It is to be meditated upon. It is to be you know, encouraging to us and for us so that we are able to give encouragement to others. And the thing that happens, and I want you to see this initially, uh, notice um, whose word it is just throughout this particular psalm. In verse 25, notice what it says. It says, your word. 26, your statutes. Notice it says in 27, your wondrous works, 
your word. I'll just keep going. Your word, teach me your law. Set your rules, your testimonies, your commandments. It is, you know, your statutes in verse 33. Your law, your commandments, your testimonies, your ways, your promise, your rules, your righteousness, your precepts. So here's what we're called to do as the people of God. We, we come in and we come in every week and we go, okay, remind me that I am not in control, that you are in control and that I need to submit myself to your ways, your commandments, your path, because I got to tell you, like I need this desperately in my own life because I have a tendency to wander my own pathway. I want to do what I want to do and I don't want anything to get in the way of that. And what I find myself, and look at verse 25. This is a great verse to meditate upon. We'll talk about meditation here in a second. In verse 25, it says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, when we talk about that word meaning soul, it is sort of the life being, you know, the self, sort of the inmost part of us, so like the, the center of our soul. My soul clings to the dust. Now, what does dust represent to the psalmist there? Dust represents the portion of the world. Dust is the portion of the world. And, and when we think about the world, we think about you know, the unholy trinity, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the flesh that remains within, within us, the devil who tempts us from outside of us, but also the world that tempts us and says, yes, all that your soul longs for will be satisfied in the midst of the world and what the world has to offer. That's what dust represents. But let's talk about this. Because I, I will tell you that my own soul... <laughs> I feel dusty at times. As a matter of fact, um, not that I saw this, but if I were to watch you walk into the sanctuary today, many of you would look like uh, a certain Charlie Brown character that you're all recognizing right now, and his name is Pigpen. Because our souls have this propensity to cling towards the dust as we wander around. And the dust, again, it's, it's the dust, the, the dust of the world. It's the approval of men and of friends. The, the promotion of ourselves, thinking that we need to be something more. The, the comforts of this world. The wealth of this world. The wisdom of this world compared to the wisdom of God. All of that is dusty stuff, okay? That's what we're talking about. So besides the obvious, what does a cloud of dust do to a man or to a woman? The dust of the world, right? Let me, let me break it down in this way. First, when you are in the midst of a dust storm, when you are, have dusty all the way around you, it makes you very, very thirsty, right? You get very thirsty, your throat gets very dry, and the problem is, is that there's this propensity for us to think that what will actually satisfy our thirst is more dust from the world. So rather than going to the living word, rather than going to you know, uh, Jesus who is living water, we actually think that if we continue to just stuff our mouth with more dust, that we will actually be you know, satisfied. It reminds me of, um, I can't remember, the, 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 when I was in youth ministry, we would talk about you know, seeing, there's always all these games in youth ministry, like how, much, how many you know, marshmallows can you stuff in your mouth, and you know, how, many, um, how much 
can, you, can, can, a, can a real person drink a whole gallon of milk? We don't do that anymore. That's terrible. Um, but then there's also this one about cinnamon, where you take cinnamon, like how much cinnamon? I can't remember how much cinnamon, but there's a portion where you just can't get enough cinnamon, and you keep doing it. Eventually, your mouth just becomes like cotton, and you can't take it anymore, and you just have to blow it all out. And just, again, I think sometimes youth ministry is like, let's get the kids to do this. And that's just kind of how it works. But it's fun. Kids love it. But there's, there's a sense in which the dust of the world, we continue to think that if we just take more dust in, that it will actually satisfy us. Here's the other thing. The dust of the world will cause you to cough and choke so that breathing is difficult. Now, what I mean by that is I think about this as it relates to prayer. Is that when our souls are dusty, when we are choking on the dust of the world, again, yearning for pursuing the approval of men, the wealth of the world, the comfort of the world, what it does is it literally chokes out our prayer life with our Father in heaven to the point where we cannot, or we find it difficult to pray because, you know, we're pursuing the world. It chokes out prayer. A third thing that dust does is it obscures our view of heavenly delights. What does a dust storm do? Or, you know, some of you live on gravel roads. Some of you live out in the country and you don't have paved roads, and, and I'm sorry. Uh, and so what does that do? I, I knew I grew up on a dirt road growing up, and I always hated to be the second person in line leaving somebody's house on a dry country day. Some of you don't understand what I'm talking about here. Because if the person gets out in front of you, they create a cloud of dust which you are then driving through, Right? And then you need to go to the car wash much more frequently, right? So you always want to be the first person out on the dusty road, not the second person or the third person because there's more dust. But what happens is in the midst of the dust around you, in the midst of the dirtiness of it, you get actually sort of a, uh, an obscured view of what's going on. And the dust of the world will obscure your delight in eternal things, because you will not be focused on heaven and the heavenward things that God calls us to, the things which actually will bring about a delight to your soul, but rather we will be fixated and shrouded in the dust around us. That's what the dust of the world does. It chokes us. It makes us thirsty. It lies to us, but it also obscures our view. Here's the other thing that happens. The more dust you get used to, the easier it is to dismiss all of the dust around you. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you ever gone in and, and uh, to maybe, I don't know, a, a, middle school, a middle school boy's room and you go, oh man, something smells bad, right? Like it's at the time where, you know, you need to introduce something called deodorant to them, you know, and you're like, man, this is bad, right? And you go, how can this child that I have loved and promoted, you know, be uh, in this room and not understand how bad it is? And we get used to that, right? We just get used to the dust around us. We get used to things that are not pleasant and we get used to those things over time. We get used to those things and our soul clings to the dust. And in Psalm 119, verse 25, it says this, this the, the, what we read contrasting that is, give me life according to your word. Give me life according to your word. 
Sinclair Ferguson, in his book on sanctification, speaks about it in this way. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, it's as, it's as if the world is trying to mold you and to fit you into a mold. You're squeezing you into a mold so that you will be conformed to the world. And yet the scriptures in the book of Romans, it says that we are called to be renewed daily in our minds from the word of God so that we are breaking out of the mold that the world is trying to press us in upon. And you guys feel that, right? Like you feel this in the sense that that the world has a particular view of wisdom and what we are to pursue, a certain perspective that they are we are called to have, and what the world is doing is forcing us into a mold, and yet we are called to break out of that, to have life according to what? To the word of God. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, in verse 26, it says, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. There's this idea that when we come to the Lord in prayer, when we come to the Lord in the midst of the difficulty of this world, and we go, Lord, we recognize that our souls are dusty. Lord, would you give us life in your word? Would, would we come to you and would you teach us these things? Think about it. In verse 32, and I'm going to be skipping around here. In verse 32, it says, I will run in the way of your commandments. Like, I will be able to run in the way of your commandments when? When God enlarges our heart. When there is a monergistic effect of the Spirit of God given by our Father in heaven upon us as our heart grows, as he takes out the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, and where we live and breathe and have our being in the midst of God's ways and his pathways. Lord, when you enlarge my heart, then I can run in your commandments. There is great, great humility here throughout this particular section. Because what we find is the psalmist is saying, like when you find your soul is dusty, then we need to be running to our Father. We need to ask him, Lord, give me life according to your word. Teach me, or make me understand the way of your precepts in verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Now, let me, let me talk about the idea of Christian uh, meditation here just for a second. We are called, as the people of God, to meditate upon the Word of God. And i got to tell you, I don't think it happens very much. I think what happens in the midst of our, our busy life is that those of us um, who are reading the Bible, there is a time where we're reading the Bible and we're checking a box you're thinking that that will be good enough for our souls. We're reading about, like some of us, um, and some of you guys have done like a read through the Bible, which I think is a wonderful thing, right? Reading through the Bible is a wonderful thing. However, there can be an aspect of reading through the Bible where we are simply checking the box and we are not meditating upon the word of God. Um, let me read um, a couple quotes. Thomas Manton, a, a Puritan says, um, what is the reason that, that, that there is so much preaching and so little practice? He says it is for lack of meditation. 
The end of study is information, and the end of meditation is practice or kindling of the affections. The end of study is to hoard up truth. The end of meditation is to lay forth in holy conduct. To hear sermons and not to meditate upon them is unfruitful. We may hear and hear, but it is like putting a thing into a bag with holes. Speaking of you meditating upon the word of God. Um, George Mueller, he says this. He says, it often astonishes me that I did not see the importance of meditation upon scripture earlier in my Christian life. We must consider what we read, ponder over it, and apply it to our hearts. The most important thing I do is to read the word of God and to meditate on it. Thus my heart might be, thus my, the, my heart might is comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, and instructed as we meditate upon the word of God. And then let me quote Spurgeon here. He says, some people like to read so many chapters every day and I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather let my soul soak in half a dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in a text of scripture and to let it be sucked up into your very soul till it saturates your heart. Set your heart upon God's word. Let your whole nature be plunged into it as a cloth into a dye. Now, let me say this. I think it's a worthwhile endeavor to read large sections of scripture. And yet I think one of the things that we miss in the midst of reading scripture is we do not meditate upon that which we're reading. We, we actually use it as a, we read it and then we move on in our day. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who thinks that way, right? I know that in your souls, this is what's going on. As you're like, I mean, there's part of you, I mean, and I'm not saying that you should only read a couple verses. I mean, read a chapter and then think about that chapter and say, what? Let me focus on one verse. Let me think about one testimony. Let me think about one instance of Jesus and let my soul ponder it. Let me, let me steep my heart into the word of God so that I will be saturated with it. That's what we want as we meditate. And I think, you know, Psalm 119, I mean, think about this. If you just sat down and said Psalm 119, verse 25, in this practical way, it says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. If you just memorized that verse, if you sat down and wrote that verse 10 times in a journal and said, Lord, how is my soul clinging to the dust today? How is my soul cling to the dust yesterday? What is the proclivity, the inclination of my soul? And Lord, how might your word give me life? How might your, your word be the delight to my soul? And, and just meditate upon that to fill yourself up with the word of God. Let me, uh, <laughs> here's the problem. Um, that I see with this. And this is, you know, this is like Romans 7 type stuff. Romans 7 is, you know, if, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans 7. Here's, here's what, I think you guys know this. I call this the do, 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 do section of scripture. Romans chapter 7, verse, look at verse, I'll start in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, but I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Some of you feel this way, right? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it is to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner beings. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Did you get that in verse 19? He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Let let me, let me give you an example of that. Just a personal example. This week, there were a couple instances where I just had a very, very difficult time. And I recognized, I recognized that in the midst of the difficulty of my own heart, as my heart was struggling, I knew that in my heart, I should turn to the word of God. I should turn to you know, singing the Psalms, to singing hymns, to praising God. I knew in my mind that that would be what is good for my soul. So what did I do? I checked the scores again. You know, I went through my, my circle of like, what do I go? You go to the internet and, you, and some of you guys do the same thing, right? Like you have like maybe eight websites that you just check and you, they're on a continuous loop that you just keep checking. Anybody ever do that, right? And so rather, rather than turning towards the thing that I know would do my soul good, and by the way, I'm a pastor. I get paid to do this stuff, right? So rather than turning to the good, I would rather turn to these other things and think that, well, you know, maybe I can get distracted by these things. Maybe I could, you know, and this is where I go to look at the next section. I mean, this is a verse that we could just, you know, uh, write up everywhere. Look at verse 37. Of, of Psalm 119, Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Lord, I am so you know, prone to look at worthless things. Rather than looking at the things that I should, rather than meditating upon your word, rather than being in prayer, I would rather look at worthless things that have no eternal significance, no eternal value. I'll give you an example. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there this morning, and um, I'm not, so I'm sitting there this morning, you know, I'm, I, I take a break from you know, like reviewing the sermon, I'm looking at like the news feeds, and it, and it said like, I guess like Harrison Ford had a birthday. Like, what do I care that Harrison Ford had a birthday? But what do I care even more to look at Harrison Ford through the years on a slideshow on the internet, right? But you know what I did? I looked at about seven or eight pictures of Harrison Ford this morning. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why do I care that he was with Carrie Fisher and talking about Star Wars and he looked younger and, you know, he's still got better hair than I have now, but it doesn't matter, you know? I'm, I'm looking at this going like I'm using worthless things to distract my heart from that which is good. And I'm telling you, the world is full of distractions. Full. But by meditating on the word of God, 
We are actually allowing the word of God to increase in our hearts to push out the distractions that the world says will give us joy. You know, I have no joy in looking at Harrison Ford throughout the years. You know, I'm just kind of curious and I'm distracted from that which is good. Anyway, pray for me. Notice what it says in, in verse 29, Psalm 119, it says, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Know that there's you know, the false ways of men, the false ways of the world. I mean, if we meditated upon that, Lord, what false way have I allowed myself to believe in? What part of your word is, is pushing me to believe something else that in contrast to what I believe? Are we believing the falsehood of men or are we believing in the righteousness of God? His ways, his laws. Again, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Notice there's, there's a change there from verse 25 down to verse 31 where it says, my soul clings to the dust. In verse 31, it says, I cling to your testimonies. I cling to your testimonies. I cling to the testimony of Jesus. I cling to the, the fact that our Lord says you know, things about you know, Mary and, and Martha. And, and he, he talks about um, th- throughout, you know, I'm thinking of you know, the, the book of Luke right now as, as I'm reading through that. You know, that when, when Jesus comes, he says, you know, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, just I mean, thinking about the testimonies of, of Jesus. I mean, I cling to the testimonies of Jesus, but rather than cling to the testimonies of Jesus, I think oftentimes we cling to the testimonies of the world and our souls get dusty. And so as we enter into the worship service like Pigpen, you know, every day, the word of God is meant to wash over our souls in such a way that we feel clean so that we're reminded of that which is good. The thing about Jesus, um, I think about Jesus in this way. You know, Jesus um, is often called the, the great physician, the best physician. You know, Thomas Watson, you know, speaking about the testimony of Christ, thinking about what he does. I love what he says about Jesus, and he talks about our own deformities of heart. You know, he says this about Jesus. Christ is the most skillful physician. There is no disease too hard for him. He, who heals all your diseases from Psalm 103? We read it today. He can cure the gangrene of sin. Even when it comes to the heart, he can melt a heart of stone and wash away black sins in his crimson blood. There are no desperate cases with Christ. He has those salves, oils, balsams, which can cure the worst diseases. Christ never fails of success. So not only is he skillful, but Watson goes on to say, but Christ is the most tender-hearted physician. He is not more full of skill than of sympathy. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Every groan of the patient goes to the heart of this physician. But he's not only tender-hearted, he also can cure our 
deformities. Christ cures not only our diseases, but our deformities. The, the physician can make the sick man well, but if he is deformed, he cannot make him lovely. Christ gives not only health, but beauty. Sin has made us ugly and misshapen. Christ's medicines not only take away our sickness, but our blemishes. He not only makes us whole, but lovely. Christ not only heals, but adorns. As Christ is the great physician, he heals with ease, he raises the dead, he elevates his patients. He not only cures them, but he crowns them. There's so many things to think about. And and again, if we would, as the people of God, would give ourselves to meditating upon the image of who Jesus is as the great physician, as the light of the world, as the bread of life. I mean, all of the I am statements within the gospel of John speak to who Jesus is. Have we meditated upon who Jesus is and what he has done for us? If we do, our souls will delight in that. And as we meditate upon the word of God, our hearts are enlarged so that we might run in the way of God's commandments. We think about um, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And that might look all kinds of different ways. It might mean to turn off the TV and read, your, read the Bible. It may mean, you know, not looking at your phone, you know, every two to three minutes or turning it off and singing. In verses... Um, Verse 40 of Psalm 119, it says, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. I think that that is the profound nature of, we we know that we do not have a righteousness of ourselves. The the great Puritans in, in the Valley of Vision would say, we do not have a loom to weave our own righteousness but rather we put on the righteousness of Jesus. And we we read about that in Philippians chapter three, verse nine, it says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And even as we think about this righteousness that we see in verse 40, in your righteousness, give me life. Again, the problem is, is when we look at the law, we recognize that we're lawbreakers, we're transgressors of the law, but we see in Jesus one who actually upheld all the law. He perfectly obeyed and all of his righteousness was credited to our account so that we might have an imputed righteousness, accredited righteousness. So that as we stand before the Father, we stand before the Father as a beloved son and daughter who welcomes us in, who loves to hear us pray, who loves to be near us, and and our Father who's at his right hands are pleasures forevermore. He loves to give good things to his children. Is your your soul dusty? (laughs) Mine is a lot. And I need worship every week. I need daily times in the word of God to cleanse me and to remind me that I am clean only through faith in Jesus Christ. For in Christ, we find great comfort and peace and joy. O Lord, teach me the way of your statutes. 
and I will keep it to the end. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word, I pray, Lord, that your word would do a work within us. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would meditate upon your word. That as we think about um, our daily disciplines, Father, that you would discipline us to take your word and to hide it within our hearts. That we might love what you love and hate what you hate. So, Father, help us. And, Father, in in moments of of sinful uh, fleeing from your word, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would capture our hearts. And that we would not be distracted by the folly of this world, but that we would be renewed by your word in our minds. Lord, help us. Lord, save us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.